0: Once upon a time. In the West, we pay scant attention to the way the world used to be organised and structured. We learn about the Roman Empire, but few people are aware that in the first century the Han Dynasty in China, straddling 200 years either side of the birth of Jesus Christ, had achieved a comparable level of development to the Roman Empire, or that China, then more of an empire than a country, was even then the largest economy in the world. We learn about life in the Middle Ages, the succession of kings and queens, the Crusades, the Black Death, the siege of Vienna and other events, but often without proper geopolitical context. Little, if any, attention is paid to the development of Chinese, Indian and Arab civilizations. Normally, in this whirlwind tour of how we got to where we are today, we move swiftly on, as it were, to Columbus, and then by way of the exploits of 16th century Portugal, 17th century Netherlands, and 18th century Britain, to the Industrial Revolution and European hegemony the eurocentric version of world history neglects the fact that for centuries europe comprised a collection of interesting but warring and unremarkable societies on the periphery of an interconnected and multipolar global system china's ming and qing dynasties 1368 to 1911 and the empires of persia safavid 1500 to 1722 india Mughal 1526 to mid-19th century and the Ottomans 1299 to 1922 were of far greater significance than Europe before the Industrial Revolution. In contrast to these civilizations, which were spread over large land masses and unified by secular or religious leaders, Europe was handicapped by its geography. The ice and large water masses to the north, west and south, the vulnerability to invasion from the east, and the internal geography of mountain and river systems all contrived to make and keep Europe geopolitically incoherent and balkanized, literally, into competing states. The demographics of Asia and Europe offer some insights into their economic development, not least because of the paucity of other economic data but also because bigger populations typically meant bigger production and bigger armies. The population of Europe in 1000 is estimated to have been about 40 million, compared with about 170 million in Asia, which corresponded to roughly 60% of the world's total. By 1750, Asia's population had grown to 600 million, or about 68% of total population, outpacing Europe's population increase, which reached about 140 million. Angus Madison estimates that China and India accounted for about a half of world GDP, and twice that of Europe, for the 600 years until about 1700. By 1820, both countries were still one and a half times as big as Europe. The higher level and faster growth of population in Asia contributed to the higher level of output overall, but in terms of output per head, the two large Asian countries had begun to slip behind Western Europe during the 15th century, possibly earlier. Thomas Malthus, an English 18th century scholar, proposed that rapid population growth would be self-correcting because it would outpace food production, and that famine and war would result. If he had been right even then, however, China and India would not have been able to support a fourfold expansion in population and nearly treble output per head of population over this period. Even if we are sceptical about economic statistics from long ago, the evidence of continuous, if erratic, progress in the development of agriculture, trade, industry, urbanisation and culture leaves no question that China was the most advanced civilization in the world. By the end of the 19th century, however, something had changed, and China began a lengthy period of upheaval and secular decline. In 1900, it represented little more than 13% of world GDP. Following the Russian Revolution, the Chinese Communist Party was formed in 1921, first collaborating with but then fighting the Chinese Nationalist Party or Kuomintang.